welcome, one and all, to Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Failing frequencies are open. You know, it doesn't hurt for enemies to give each other compliments. Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, for episode 107, The Serene Squall, comes to you now via Alpha Braga 4. And news from the fleet before this episode leaves orbit. Pete, just yesterday we were discussing the penultimate Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, episode of the series. That's your part five. Uh, and still, just what a what a fantastic episode that was. Just three days until that finale streams. Allegedly going to be in theaters as well, although the firm plans for that remain unknown. Uh, we also, a couple days ago, we're discussing Ms. Marvel Episode 2. That was up on our uh, Marvel Friday uh, go-round there. And uh, that also shows just continues to delight. Uh, wild that we're a third of the way through that run already. Now, Pete, keeping things in the world of Star Trek, I understand that there has been some, some good uh, sizzling, some teasing of characters appearing in Picard Season 3. Uh, that done by showrunner Terry Madalus. Who might we expect? Who might we not expect? Who should we not expect? Well, we're told definitely no Chief O'Brien. However, there are other legacy characters beyond just the Next Generation cast. Uh, look, if they can do it in a way where it all fits, that would be that would be a lot of fun um making sure it's cohesive that's the name of the game otherwise i think 10 episodes of fan service you know it might it might wear thin if it's just fan service got to make it about the story well i am eager to find out who we're gonna see matt i would expect once we get some advertisement maybe they'll leak a little bit more of that out as far as when we might see it, Matalus says this is above his pay grade, but one cast member has said allegedly February 2023. Oh man, Pete, you're telling me that Terry Matalus has no idea when this might come out when prior seasons of Picard have come out uh, <laughs> around the end of January. So the notion of, you know, <laughs> January 23 or February 23, I mean, to me, that seems reasonable there are of course some question marks still in place uh they have yet to announce a date for lower decks uh although i think we are we will be surprised if it's anything other than august uh and that would then leave a hole from the neighborhood of october 15th until a february start date for picard uh if they want to have more star trek in there um so I, I, some good speculation, but I, you know, don't be surprised if this show comes out in the winter of 2023. Wild to think that we're just three weeks away from a uh, finale for Strange New Worlds and then a month, four weeks from no Star Trek for the first time since November. Oh, that's somewhat deflating, Pete. I hadn't, <laughs> I hadn't stopped to think to think of it like that but you're absolutely right uh pete that's why here's why okay i have dipped into the future uh as it says on the voyager uh dedication plaque i know that though star trek stranger worlds ends on july 7th i know that we're going to be getting 
uh, in my heart of hearts, I know that we're going to be getting Lower Decks in August. So you want to give me a couple weeks off, four or five weeks off from Star Trek? That's okay. Uh, the, 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 the adventure can continue nonetheless. With that, let's head into the mission briefing. The sun peeks through the craggy surface of the third moon of Omicron Lyrae, where T'Pring narrates a personal log at Ankishkan Katil, the Vulcan Criminal Rehabilitation Center on Stardate 1997.9. Explaining her last few weeks of service have been productive despite the difficulty guiding those who once walked destructive paths back to civilized society. She helps them purge emotions that led to theft, abuse, and even murder. She admits it's been hard to steal time for Spock and herself in their long-distance relationship, but senses a desire to explore his human half, so she's attempted to experiment to spice things up, researching human sex. What? Uh, Pete... I'll focus on the beginning of what you said there, the lush visual presentation of uh, this prison planet. Credit to you, Pete, for uh, pronouncing it with proper Vulcan dialect on the first try and all that. No no editing magic here. Um, do want to point out the way it's presented, assuming that this is uh, still in their LED holodeck space. The show, and, and by extension, the you know uh, Canada crew that did Discovery that, that carried over, they have really mastered how to do this. I, I think you might be able to stop and pause on some of these scenes and say, oh, look, that's where the foliage begins, or that's where the foliage ends, and behind that is where the background begins. But you need to be nitpicking to see anything other than a fully presented uh, place here. Now, Pete, as to some of the other stuff, um, Pete, she's been reading up on a variety of perspectives, human perspectives of that uh physical situation there and um uh, pete i think if nothing else spock um spock shocked as well i won't speculate as to whether he is he is um maximizing the potential here or not but i think shock uh, <laughs> spock shocked as are we all she brings up a trio of books none of which spock has read and he suggested maybe they read them together but she's trying, and he's thankful. In the corridor of the Enterprise, Nurse Chapel asks Spock if he's met Dr. Aspen yet, but he is still distracted by T'Pring's research. She's hesitant to give advice again, but he needs a friend. She tells him not to try to be smarter than the truth, as it got him in trouble last time. Chapel also plays with him, telling him to pay better attention to her when she's talking because he finishes. She's completely charming and he's missing it. I did notice as they were talking, um, how shall I put this, Pete, in an episode that just was talking about some some tender topics earlier? Uh, Mr. Spock's eyes wander. Maybe just a suggestion. Want to? look nurse chapel in the eye as you're talking to her that would be my only gentlemanly suggestion there uh but that i mean it's a genuine observation i'm bringing it up more for the purposes of humor than actual analysis uh i will say this scene lives and breathes the the friendship uh bond that they have it, it, it's it's something that i think 
obviously is informed by and carries over to TOS. Um, but it's just a really lovely scene. And it takes us to the next scene, uh, a dinner at Captain Pike's uh, lavish quarters there uh, with the introduction here of Dr. Aspen as they explain that they have been helping those outside the edge of Federation space. Uh, and, you know, everyone really captivated by this new character. These colonists that they talk about here lost power 26 days ago. And Pike pledges to help them. Dr. Aspen can see why Starfleet calls him its Boy Scout, which he doesn't believe. But number one says it's actually in his file. Aspen says it's been difficult getting Starfleet ships out there so close to non-Federation space. And Pike calls it the Wild Wild West. Number one says there's been reports of an unaffiliated vessel called the Serene Squall raiding the border. Aspen's organization has lost several aid missions to it. Spock says the Enterprise is superior, but Aspen says the pirates are fiercely loyal and it would be best to steer clear. Got that, Matt? We don't want to go anywhere near them, Boy Scout. Pete, I completely understand that in no way will we be seeing pirates or pirate impressions uh, in this episode. Uh, with that, Pete, uh, I couldn't help but think of Cinema Sins. There's the line uh, from the bridge, I think you want to see this. That's the, I think you want to see this cliche. Uh, and it is, in fact, uh, ships uh, whose signatures match those of the colonial vessels, trouble afoot, and so forth as uh, the party that's of people move to the bridge yes a debris field is all that remains of two of the three vessels aspen says they could have escaped to the third ship which spock detects no sign of but he does see an unidentified warp signature aspen says there's nothing worth stealing on the ship but laon proposes they are slavers Spock says a request to Starfleet to enter non-Federation space will take two days at this distance since they're so far from subspace relays. They would be on their own. Pike orders him to send the request and Ortegas to take them in, dropping subspace buoys as they go to maintain communication because he's not waiting to keep people off the auction block. A very clear mandate here for why they are proceeding outside the federation space a very clear story uh, establishment as to why the uh why it is they're gonna be cut off from help um both of these i think are story elements that how do i want to say this they make it clear why this is a slightly different um slightly different set of space that they are in you know given the help is not around and so forth regardless pete we head into the credits this is an episode written by Bo DeMeo and sarah tartikoff directed by sydney freeland and after the credits as we come back in uh we are still with spock pete who's hearing the loud music uh and it shall be revealed that it is dr aspen on the other side of that door spock having been sent to retrieve uh, Dr. Aspen, also sometimes referred to as counselor. Nice to have a counselor back in Star Trek. Uh, and uh, the captain has been trying to reach Aspen. Uh, no reply to the hails on account of that darn loud music. The muffled, lively music 
playing here as he rings the doorbell. Uh, at first, seemed like maybe Aspen might have been working out, but in the turbo lift, they explain they used to club hop during their academy days to work off stress. Spock notes the missing colonists would no doubt trigger anxiety. Uh, not all of them could take advantage of the culinar ritual to purge all emotion. Aspen is familiar with it having worked with Vulcans before, but never got it. Spock says it offers clarity and looks forward to his. Spock also helps uh, Aspen put on a necklace, which I must confess, Pete, I thought within the scene, uh, the necklace was a way for uh, Aspen to be, I don't want to say projecting intimacy, but projecting a friendliness, a level of intimacy, even, even a friendly one, that Spock is uh, not comfortable with. The fact that it is also a Chekhov's gun, the fact that that mm -hmm. necklace is going to be a, a transporter a button or device or relay or whatever it is uh, probably best that they don't explore it is it a small transporter that's not of the time and so forth but the fact that hey this is a special necklace uh, established here and hidden in really well uh when they get to the bridge uh pike has picked up a distress signal from a nearby nearby asteroid field and as you mentioned pete of course i mean it's like on second view the episode is spelling out all these things Clearly, but on first view, they're they're just beneath the surface. Of course, the Boy Scout is going to follow the distress the, the distress call, even as Aspen says, "Watch out!" Sometimes these pirates set up ambushes. The counselor reverse psychologying them all the way. Um, they go to Yellow Alert and investigate as a blind date. Uh, as the signal grows stronger, the Enterprise is ensnared inside the laser nets formed by multiple asteroids equipped with high-energy electromagnetic deflectors. Spock recommends they do not cross them. At best, they will shut down the ship. At worst, kaboom. La'an asks about weapons, but Spock says shutting one off could cause a cascade of detonations. Also, kaboom. An alarm sounds as the net begins to contract. Spock identifies two asteroids that could be the source of the energy, but which one could it be? It's impossible to be certain. Pike tells Spock to go with his gut, and Aspen encourages him to make a choice, watching him react painfully as he names the target on fires phasers and the net is destroyed i do find myself wondering you know again through second viewing and all that so what would have happened if spock chose the other one knowing now that this is the net itself is a way for you know for them to only get further ensnared in the or rather the escape of the net is a way for them to get further ensnared in this situation perhaps both were the right choice uh, but it's a great bit of character usage there. Uh, as they are free, Pete, someone's been watching uh, some of the Star Wars stuff where there's there's a bad-looking ship hanging out on an asteroid, which is rotating uh, away from our hero ship and watching. Pete, you know the ship is not good because it's kind of like got spider legs. Yes. So, therefore, the coding... And all spiders should be burned with fire. <laughs> um, so, the, certainly the notion uh, of trouble there. 
Uh, in the next scene, Spock is visited by Aspen, who, Pete, let me say this. I must confess, okay, I spent a little time in this scene saying, all right, so the Dr. Aspen performer, do I need to know more about their background and so forth before reminding myself? No, I don't. Live your life, whatever. All I know is this, Pete. Uh, that is a jumpsuit that I could not look uh, anywhere near as good in as the performer does. So kudos there. And uh, uh, yeah, just a, a, a fit looking person there in one of the snuggest Star Trek outfits ever. Jesse James Keitel does a tremendous job in this role that really has two aspects. You've got to cozy up to the crew here first. And then you've got to do the mustache twirling once the reveal is made and ably up to it on both ends. And of course, this scene um, within the Star Trek universe, this is a scene about Spock reflecting upon his human and Vulcan sides and uh, not necessarily needing to make a choice within that binary combination there. Uh, it also being within the Star Trek universe, the fact that uh, Dr. Aspen being trans and being comfortable with who they are, uh, there's there's no Star Trek debate internally as to Dr. Aspen's nature and so forth. I think to many a viewer, one can see that, you know, Spock, who's pretend part alien played by an actor, you know, the, the, the subtext of this scene being about... Um, if, if, if it suits one uh, to reject the, the binary nature of this or that and to accept you are as you are uh, indeed that uh, a central thesis from Aspen to Spock essentially to be the best Spock you can be, whether that is human Vulcan or some mix in between. Aspen really advocating that you're you, uh, not one, not the other, uh, interestingly, Spock saying that to be neither Vulcan nor human is nonsensical. Um, after all, Aspen has known a few Vulcans, but tells Spock not to waste any time analyzing this because the trap wasn't set by the Serene Squall because they'd be dead. On the bridge, Pike offers to have Ortegas relieved, but she enjoys flying manually, comparing it to being in a deep conversation with the ship, you know, like a third date. The Enterprise comes upon a ship containing 230 life signs, 200 of which are sealed in the cargo hold. The ship's sensors have yet to detect them, and Pike takes number one and La'an with him to the transporter room as number one, um, beams the landing party down. She tells Pike he's playing fast and loose with the rules. Not exactly Starfleet's Boy Scout. Now, Pete, I don't want to be overly nitpicky here, okay? But I feel like any other time the captain leaves the bridge uh, and maybe takes the first officer, uh, somebody says, you're in charge, or somebody else naturally just knows to go sit in the chair. Just want to point out, uh, in or with Pike, taking number one and others off the bridge i was like well wait who's so, so who's in charge like temporarily just for like if all of a sudden something blows a gasket who's 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 the one in charge where's your, the organization chart i'm assuming pete they all know the answer that's probably why it's not actually a writing oversight um 
they beam onto the ship here great set design by the way um i just get the sense that this is a real place as opposed to they stuck some boxes and uh vertical metal pieces on the on the led stage um also i'm really really digging the armor that i think is debuting in the scene have we seen this this we particular have we have e even with the colors yes okay. well you know what then it's it certainly is making an impression on me here in this uh in this scene and with so many of our important folks over there on the other ship, that's when Spock is detecting that uh, baddies are beaming in. The call is made for defensive stations. Uh, and we also see Nurse Chapel heading to a Jeffrey's tube. Pete, a Jeffrey's tu tube that some people took the time to screen cap and compare to TOS-style Jeffrey's tubes, much to the approval of those who did the screen capping. Yeah, really neat that they've recreated these. Um, wish we could have gotten a little sooner than episode 107, but at least they're there and they had been teased a while back. Uh, before the landing party can return, they are surrounded. Pirates, meanwhile, Matt, attack the bridge, and number one and Ortegas pull phasers from beneath the captain's chair and the helm. Spock shields Aspen before going buck wild. And then number one and Ortegas are hit as is Aspen in the back shielding Spock as they escape in a turbo lift to deck four. Couple of takeaways from this scene. One being surely there have been, there must be other instances in Star Trek where, you know, phaser, you know, people have phasers on the bridge or they're, they appear, whatever it might be, where they're there for protection. In retrospect, though, I don't have a deep knowledge of like, yes, there's the hidden phaser holster uh, at these important stations here, which in retrospect, like, yeah, of course there is. Of course that, you know, can you imagine if all of a sudden just because one little person beamed down to the bridge, you know, they happen to have a, I don't know, uh, a crossbow or something. That's what the difference is as opposed to. That's you know, next week, Matt. Uh, Pete, I wouldn't know. I know. I know. There's. I know. I know. Next week, I think Doctor Mbengo wears a hat and Spock wears his hair long. Other than that, I don't know what's in store for next week. Uh, I do know for this week that uh, Pike and Company, having been uh, cornered and captured, uh, it is here that they meet the the delightfully presented uh, Orion Captain here. Just you know, Pete. I say it maybe not often. I say it quite a bit. There are no small parts, only small actors. This a big character, well acted, where you just know not just from the costume and the hair and the makeup and whatnot, but just the actor is filling the screen as this is a bad, bad captain pirate guy. You're, of course, referring to Remy, who we find out a little later is not the captain, but here not denying it. Spock and Aspen sneak through the Enterprise, watching the crew escorted somewhere, presumably to the brig. Number one, seeing him and nonchalantly advising him not to attack as they're outnumbered. Aspen says they should hide and they climb into the Jeffries tube. The pirates, meanwhile, torture Pike the enterprise access codes to disengage the lockout but he will not talk 
square jawline be damned yes i think the episode has a great sense of when to still have a sense of humor um and yeah to have remy say you know he hates to ruin such a uh square and handsome jawline um but he's going to punch him anyway there's also reference made a bit later in the scene to uh to some of the food that remy has been cooking and uh again in an episode that's not taking itself too seriously um pike says it's terrible remy says the crew seems to love it and we get crew reactions where that does not quite seem to be the case pete i bet you did not have on your star trek bingo card uh that when we saw pike preparing food for the captain's table back in episode two that uh pike as cook would end up being a a plot element this season i like that they've made this an element of his character and now incorporating it in the plot beginning to sow the seeds of mutiny here um the female crew member points out they're far from the federation and the crew might like a good meal so Remy sends Pike to the galley to cook like his crew's lives depend on it. Chapel, meanwhile, attempts to send a simple SOS, but is set upon by two pirates who can't see the hypospray up her sleeve. She stuns the first and knocks the phaser out of the hand of the other before sedating him. Again, I'm sure hypospray as weapon has existed in Star Trek before, uh, but, you know, if so, it's not a mainstay, obviously, of of the Star Trek universe. So I love how it's used here. Uh, kudos to the camera work where Chapel facing the camera has her hands up and she's able to kind of, well, first of all, the camera decision has been made to not do like close up on hypospray in wrist or not to do like camera wobbly moves to it. Like, we just have Chapel there, and she looks, then looks again, overselling it if you're looking at her and you're a pirate, um, but selling it just right for the uh, for the camera and the audience. And Pete, speaking of just right, uh, Pike's chili, question mark, seems to be going over really, really well. <laughs> I called it chow, not knowing <laughs> what it was. Um, I know this uh, reptilian pirate uh, doesn't just want the one ladle full. He gives the old lean in and hand come forward because he wants coming yeah he wants more so we see that it's working um and pike and remy having a little tete-a-tete after that and pete that's where we get the iconic uh iconic in part because you referenced it at the top of the episode uh line that it doesn't hurt uh, enemies to give each other compliments pete i would like to compliment you on the job you're, you're doing today we're not enemies though <laughs> yes pete have more uh, chili please yeah. <laughs> Pike uh, says that Remy seems too intelligent to take so much lip off his crew here. And then hijacking Starfleet's flagship won't help. But Remy intends to sell it and possibly Pike's crew to the Klingons, which the female crew member doesn't seem enthused about. Yes, a reminder that uh, people don't get into deals with Klingons often because usually they don't leave the deal with Klingons. Um, I think, too, we're buying the, you know, so out there past the point of help and, you know, the risk of pirates taking over the ship and marooning the crew and all that. 
um, this bit of dialogue here is a good reminder, A, that this little pirate cell, you know, must be looking to interact with uh, other of the, the baddies or other of the forces in the quadrant, um, but also the idea that um, this is a big get, the flagship. Like, you know, do you really want the Federation coming after you? I thought it was just... The, the episode didn't need to shine a light on the fact that this is a terrible idea. Um, this notion of, you know, little pirate band getting lucky, getting the flagship of, of Starfleet and all that. Um, but the episode does lean into that, I think, to the credit of the presentation. In sickbay, Spock administers a hypo to Aspen, who is fortunate the pirate's weapon was set to stun as part of their attempt to ransom them. Spock uses the ship's computer to ascertain the command lockdown is still in place, but the pirates have reached all decks. Aspen asks about escape pods, but Spock does not find abandoning a ship as powerful as the Enterprise acceptable. Aspen tells him they do not want to get captured by the pirates and spins a tale of her Vulcan husband dying at the hands of uh, of the pirates when they raided his transport. He skipped his colonar and, like Spock, sought balance. Engineering uh, is the place where they can apparently override the security lockdown and uh, send a distress signal to Starfleet. Uh, Spock opens a case containing two phasers, but Aspen says... They aren't a fighter. Spock disagrees after what they just shared, and they reluctantly take a phaser. Back uh, on the old pirate ship, um, Pike looks genuinely knocked around a bit. Um, I know that we're about to play for light comedy in a moment, uh, what he is uh, going to propose as a plan, but uh, genuinely looks like he's had his bell rung a few times. Uh, Mbenga wants to do a little scan. Uh, however, Pike now is ready to share his plan. It's the Alpha Braga 4 plan that number one recognizes. Uh, no, no, we're not really going to do that. Yes, we are. What is it? Ask some of the crew members there. Ask we, the audience, uh, the revelation that uh, the Alpha Braga 4 plan is to start a mutiny, which uh, we and the audience's end can say, hey, there's already the seeds of that. Uh, the seeds have already been planted. Melissa Navia's Ortegas gets the best lines on this show when uh, Pike reveals that he's convinced the pirates to sell them to the Klingons. Ortegas asks if Mbenga's medical tricorder is broken, and he seriously goes to check it before we come to the understanding, no, Pike has not had his bell rung he really has his faculties and he's driving a wedge between the pirates in engineering chapel is attempting to access the computers unseen when spock and aspen find a trail of unconscious pirates spock gains access and transfers all command systems from the bridge to their current position he seals their location briefly before systems reroute again and Aspen pulls both phasers on them. It's actually Captain Angel 
um this bit of story in this scene supported by the camera work which very clearly establishes the three of them uh in the location the three of them talking together at a certain point the camera moves in a bit more it's spock and chapel it's spock and chapel i think that's the visual clue there wait we know that uh we know that the good doctor is in here somewhere than the reveal of the uh, diabolical captain angel uh and we then return to the bridge where where spock feels betrayed and this is a good um this is a good point of uh, of of conflict here in that you know i'm not this is not best of both worlds part one where i'm saying oh my goodness anyone may die the show may be fundamentally fundamentally reimagined due to this conflict but here we are two-thirds of the way through the episode um part of our main crew is not on the enterprise the bridge has now been lost to the pirates they're going to practice firing phasers and so forth for as much as this is this has the tinge of a fun episode with you know pirate adventure out there on the frontier and so forth the stakes feel really real here i can particularly appreciate um Kaitel's performance in that Early on, they had me suspecting them, and then we moved forward, and I'm like, no, there's there's no way. Uh, they've been with Spock now. They're giving this, uh, you know, intimate disclosure about the husband, and they're they're too far into the story for the twist. And then they did it, and it all lands successfully. And then, of course, to loop in uh, to to uh to pring back in the prison oh it's not a prison it's a rehabilitation center um which again on first viewing like oh we have a nice to pring thing in the beginning which leads into transfer to you know her talking to spock oh look we've done characterization with this recurring character i don't think that it was necessarily obvious on first view that that was also set up for like and obviously we've heard her working with with uh prisoners and so forth we've heard that in prior episodes but I don't think it read as she is going to become a key part to this story and heck the prisoners, a particular prisoner is going to be incredibly important for the zinger at the end of this episode, presumably next week and so forth. None of that read in her initial, uh, introduction. So when they do dial her up and, uh, Pakhtar Pakta in terms of prison, not prison rehabilitation, whatever, um, Again, all the pieces are in place, but it's like, oh, I didn't know they were going to fit together like that. As Angel toys with Spock, Chapel asks where the real Aspen is, and Angel admits dumping them on an uninhabited asteroid. The colonists were imaginary. Angel sits in the captain's chair and laughs maniacally. Uh, Spock asking their objective and angel says it is him they wanted all along to pring is told by stan and his stupid haircut matt that she has a transmission from the enterprise you remember stan right yeah well uh, immediately i was like oh my goodness that's 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 um, the dumb haircut of the guy that's ultimately going to marry to pring yeah, it was, it was a like, workplace romance. There you go. Uh, I mean, it, because I recognized him immediately, and I was like, "Wait, that isn't that the other guy from a mock time?" Um, the other guy with his big dumb 
haircut. Well, there you go. Um, It's just wonderful how they are. You know, this is a discussion we've had on the Kenobi podcast as well for that show. Like finding that right mix of we're going to, you know, insofar as this show is kind of a pre, not kind of, insofar as this show is a prequel to TOS, we're going to find areas of story where things happen, not even happen, where things fit perfectly. We're not necessarily going to push it outside our understanding. But then the minute you go, oh, well, she got her we, she got Stan as a as a marriage candidate. Got it from somewhere that must have happened before a mock time. I've never stopped to think about why and where and how. But as soon as you say, "Oh, Stan says there's a phone call here," like that's when you go, "Oh, of course this all fits perfectly and organically." And kudos to finding a, a Canadian actor with a dumb enough haircut to be able to play Stan. Uh, in this early incarnation um, to bring answers angels call and is told that she can have Spock back in exchange for one of her prisoners a Vulcan named Zavarius totally his name not an alias at all okay um, to Pring says if she were to release Zavarius the high council would revoke her position she would face criminal charges and disgrace her family but angel tells her she can endure that or have spock killed angel transmits coordinates to swap and tells to bring that if she involves the federation she won't have a fiance left to rescue angel orders a course set for the rendezvous but chapel points out to bring said she wouldn't deal angel asserts she will and Spock says Vulcans are not swayed by emotions. But Angel has used emotions to sway him all day and do whatever they wanted. Angel admits to fudging a detail or two about who they are, but never lying about it. They did lose a Vulcan only to prison, not to pirates. Chapel challenges Angel, but they tell her love is the only thing that makes the cold loneliness of space bearable, which is why Tapring will come. And the layers of the conversation here, the burgeoning feelings between Chapel and Spock and Tapring here, and that we know that her eventual husband is there with her at the rehabilitation center and Angel manipulating all of this with the reveal still coming of who this other Vulcan Severius is, is super well done. Yeah, I think this is the scene in which, yes, we are nonetheless maintaining the kind of fun pirate adventure aesthetic, but this is the scene where, uh, I must confess, Pete, for me, like certainly Zavarius, that felt like a that felt like a um, a pseudonym. I was not as quick on the uptake as you were uh, in predicting the twist before the twist happened. Um, but regardless, this is the scene where that is now all of a sudden getting more interesting. It's a particular prisoner. What's the connection there, and so forth? Um, just this notion of of um, Spock giving the boilerplate Vulcan thing. You know, Vulcans are not swayed by emotions. She will not do this. And then no. But we're 35 minutes into this episode. The entire thing, Spock, has been you 
being swayed by your emotions. Oh no, colonists, sick, dying, lost, and so forth. All of that. Um, it's a great reminder that Vulcans are driven by emotions. Just the volume is turned way, way, way down low. Um, it, it's just, again, this is the scene where you say, oh, there's more to this than it's just a fun episode. There's some real heart to it here. On the serene squall, the female crew member feeds the landing party as Remy makes an announcement. They're headed for the Klingon colony of Kovat to sell their cargo. Pike gets her to admit Remy's not the captain and offers to throw in behind her in revolt. Alpha Braga 4 works every time. Uh, we find the Enterprise at the rendezvous spot. Pete, you won't believe it. T'Pring, uh arrives, and there is, again, passing reference made to, uh, to Captain Angel knowing a Vulcan who is a little less reliant on pure logic. Uh, we get here the, um, the unplanned, but, you know, Spock saying, please follow my lead to chapel where again, delicious subtext here, or let's start without subtext. We can understand, Hey, they're going to pretend to do a thing. They're going to do the fake out, um, the fake out. We are in love with each other. Um, and then of course the subtext of, we know from TOS Chapel has an attraction to Spock. Uh, I would argue that both of these actors have brought some of that magnetism to how they are interacting with each other. It's not overt. It's not over the top, but they know where things are headed as well, at least for Chapel and unrequited love and all that. Uh, and then Spock's somewhat under emotional delivery here that uh, he has feelings for uh, Nurse Chapel, Christine, uh, and then the the uh, reveal here, uh, you know, Chapel saying, yes, we've been having an affair. Uh, Captain Angel calling it out as impossible, um, which I think, you know, again, any logical person would say, oh, they're running a ruse here. Pete, then there is the kiss, a kiss with passion, particularly from a supposedly passionless uh, man. To bring and Spock as a result terminate their mating bond angel says they will still kill spock but to says they have made their choices angel orders to ship destroyed but just then weapons have been immobilized and shields go down the serene squall warps in and fires pike contacts angel from the steering wheel telling them to get the hell out of his chair. Number one says their backdoor codes have paralyzed weapons and defensive systems. Pike orders Ortegas to gently fire to disable impulse engines. Spock tells Angel the logical move is to surrender, but they tell him there's more to life than logic. Angel enjoyed meeting him since Zaverius always talked about him angel digs that necklace spock helped them put on earlier out of the cat suit and taps it to transport away to that ship that tailed the enterprise earlier warping out pete is that spider ship spider ship does whatever a spider ship wants it does uh, i'd like to shine a light here on the 
very, very Star Trek set design of the Serene Squall uh, bridge. It feels like they looked at the script and said, we need this for one brief scene. Um, and I'll, I'll make some suppositions here, Pete. And we're slightly behind schedule due to COVID protocols. And the season is more expensive than we thought due to COVID protocols. So what if the Serene Squall had a really unimpressive bridge? Like two walls have nets that are backlit <laughs> by yellow lights. And we're going to have some steam coming up. And there's going to be a screen on the one end. There's a big old wheel. And then there's some like bleep bloop stations. Uh, and that's about it. It just and sells we also it. don't need to break zones because we'll have a wall where later there will be pirates having a mutiny. <laughs> a mutiny on the mutiny. Uh, it's mutinyception, I think. Um, but yeah, I, I, and in an episode that has been more humorous than not, uh, the notion that when Spock calls over to the uh, to the Serene Squall command room, that's when the baddies are banging on the bar window door things um and you know can you please hurry up and get us out of here because uh there's still some mutiny in progress um just a delightful presentation here pete extra delightful maybe to the point where it's just a little too silly for me where we get that most wise of star trek captains christopher pike told to us in discovery one of the top five all time talking like a pirate captain and making the pirate voice are well we'll we'll start from the beginning of the scene at warp later pike narrates a supplemental log saying starfleet has the serene squall and its crew in custody but angel remains unaccounted for my notes matt simply say after that he does pirate impression um, Pete, I'm not saying, okay, Star Trek is gone and decadent and over. I'm just saying it was a little, little too silly for me. Uh, but that's okay. Pete, all are welcome, uh, at, at the door of Star Trek and at the door of Spock's quarters to Pring is there a uh, fantastic outfit. Uh, he feels it necessary to apologize for all of the, the subster subterfuge for the incident. Uh, and she says, of course, she never could have believed this. Uh, and a relaxed or a relieved sigh, rather, uh, on Spock's end, uh, which, again, I think is hinting towards uh, the opposite of his words. Uh, she says that she never believed the ruse. Pete, some people online, uh, apologies, I don't have the exact tweet in front of me. I don't think it was directed at us. Some people saying, perhaps pedantically, that because to Pring's, when she gave the Vulcan salute at the conclusion of their uh, mating bond separation speech, because her thumb was not extended that was the secret message that she knew it was <laughs> pretend crossing your fingers behind your back <laughs> yeah or or like message to spock that she knows it's not real z that may be a bridge too far particularly since we have this scene where spock feels it's necessary to explain things and she's feels it necessary to provide uh you know um comfort and so forth um but I don't hate it as an idea that thumb in, thumb out is a Vulcan signal for something. Without being told that, I don't think it works. Um, and there, it's not going to be two Vulcans, even one who's half human, to say, oh, no, but you were doing the Vulcan 
cross your fingers behind your back. Um, what works about this is whether you know that Spock and Tpring will ultimately not get married or whether you don't, the, the scene still is successful. Uh, that he is apologizing, that he that she is saying, what for? I knew you were playing on, uh, along, all along, and that uh, everything's cool. And let's have our rebonding ritual now. Pete, I have noted in other episodes that I think Tpring is very aware of certain Vulcan instincts and is willing to act on such instincts. Here, too, I think, Pete, uh, my, my, my vagary somewhat aside, I will say, here we again have a Tpring who is uh, self-actuating and who is getting what she wants, and I say huzzah to that, as once again we have a Spock and Tpring smooch and the camera moves away from them because I think, Pete, the camera dare not see what happens next. Spock stops by stickbay to thank Chapel, but she says they don't have to talk about it as their friendship remains. She asks him about the identity of the prisoner Angel wanted, and he explains Sarek had a child out of wedlock who rejected logic. He believes Zavarius to be an assumed name for someone he was told to avoid at all costs. His half-brother, Cybok, who comes into view via Tpring and Stan's view only from the back, Matt, but we see the iconic wig. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with a web that looks quite Tholian. So it's never confirmed that that was the pirates. And it, to me, does not seem like it's connected to the pirate scheme. We don't see the little vessel with the web, but it looks a lot like the Tholian web. I think it's a heads up observation that at no point in villainous reveal, does anyone say, you know, and that was our thing, or that was the stuff that we stole from the Tholians. I do kind of like the idea that, you know, again, kind of honoring the places in the story that do exist and the places that don't. I like that they keep it vague because could one theoretically uh, start their Star Trek journey with, you know, uh, I suppose if you want to start earliest, it would be you know, Star Trek Enterprise. But could you have gone from Discovery to Strange New Worlds, then go to TOS, and this is kind of an a setup for the Tholian web? Sure. Could it be, as you're suggesting, possibly literally the Tholians? Could it be stolen tech and so forth? I like that, the, again, the story does not need to be specific and gives enough room for it to be whatever it needs to be. The Serene Squall crew, Matt, uh, you know, these pirates could have really been a one note type of situation but that we know they're uh beaten up on uh colonists in general there were of course no colonists in the actual story that they've done this stuff before 
but also strangely lovable. And I'm glad they're away from Angel as much as I enjoy uh, what Jesse James Keitel's character has brought to Star Trek. Yeah, with the Serene Squall crew, um, it's an opportunity for not just the, the what I'm assuming are Canadian locals, uh, to, to have a smaller role, to do the best you can and so forth. But, you know, hair, makeup, um, prosthetic makeup, everything to kind of really say... That lady crew member seems really, really awesome. And to lizard make a guy. hair clip with spent shells in it. Yeah. Know, that was really cool. The, the, those characters, I mean, you, you could have gotten away with, like, put them in sackcloth and make them look dirty. I mean, I'm thinking, Pete, like, you know, in, in Wrath of Khan, there's Khan. And then there's, like, helper guy number one who's a handsome fella. Beyond that, there's nobody really that, you know, like who, who's guy number three, who's lady number two. Like nobody really jumps out versus they've taken the time here to give at least a handful of these characters enough wherewithal where you go. Yeah, she could be a good captain. Pike is right. Uh, Remy there, though, not the captain. First mate, maybe uh, really becomes a presence uh humorous but a foil to pike yeah one feels particularly you know for for as for as silly as the orion cooking bit could could be um it's that look into he does things his way and everybody has to eat the terrible food and no one complains and one can imagine there's other scenes where they're like this guy i can't tell him the food is awful i also can't tell him the engine manifold needs replacing and I can't tell him better ways to pirate. Like it is, it, it's a little glimpse in, you know, in a big episode, it's a little glimpse into this one character, but it works and helps sell him as a, as a threat. And then with captain angel, and there's not a doubt in my mind, I'm sure in Matt's mind, in most viewers minds, we're going to see this character again. Uh, we'll talk in theories about where it could all go, but, you know, just an already iconic character to come out of this show. Pete, there is a long, uh, unfortunate history in Hollywood of having trans characters be bad, and that's because they're trans, or all trans characters turn out to be sneaks and baddies and so forth. Um, I applaud Jesse James Keitel, A, for really owning on Twitter, saying, yes, there is this history, but you know, Star Trek is not presenting this person as bad because they are trans. Star Trek is presenting a trans person who chooses to be a villain. And Jesse James Keitel can play you know, uh, uh, an intelligent and interesting uh, presence who you want to get to know in the first half and be space pirate captain surprise in the second half because Jesse James Keitel is a great performer too. And I applaud Star Trek for not shying away from saying this looks like the stereotype that other people have done, but here's why it is not. Here's why it's a credit to the role, the performer. It's an opportunity to have uh, trans visibility within the episode and you know Star Trek is the exception to the to the rule I think the scene where they really beat back at that trope is when 
Angel is still masquerading as Aspen and has the conversation, the, the subtext of which of, uh, you know, transitioning one identity to another Spock's Vulcan half and his human half. Um, and then, you know, what I'm sure conservative people who somehow watch Star Trek and, you know, get offended by the sensibilities of a future where we've eliminated war and uh, famine and uh, disease through progressive ideals will be like, well, no, look, my conservative character Spock said that uh, the idea of uh, transitioning, of uh, being only one thing, okay, because Matt, uh, people will say there are only two genders uh, that uh, he, he said here, it's nonsensical, therefore... Spock is on my team when, uh, no, <laughs> Spock straddles two worlds. Yes, he aims to be Vulcan. He was raised on Vulcan. Uh, he aspires to purge all emotion through the Colonar ritual, but ultimately will fail at that. To my mind, Matt, he never goes back and attains Colonar and learns to reconcile both sides of his being, therefore getting the best of both worlds. <laughs> lowercase B, lowercase B, lowercase <laughs> W. No, I think you're absolutely correct. And we get a taste of that medicine in Tapring's final scene here, where she notes, uh, per perhaps again with some subtext, like she can't possibly imagine that there's a spark between spock and chapel or if she can't imagine it wink wink we can and all that but to pring as presented is saying you spock were able to sell the subterfuge we're able to save the enterprise crew the enterprise ship uh to pring as a professional and keep this prisoner behind non-prison bars because it's not a prison uh yeah right but regardless all of this was saved because Spock was able to sell the emotion. He was able to tap into his human side to pretend that kissing Nurse Chapel on the face with a lot of lip and other tongue movement and so forth, that, that he could actually make it seem like that's a that's a that's an attractive idea. It's because he is, as you say, Pete, straddling both worlds. Let's use our long-range sensors to scan for a theory or two. Pete, let's start with this. Um, I think we're going to... I have not seen the preview. As I said, I saw Mbenga in a hat and Spock with long hair. Methinks we're going to get some Cybox soon, maybe even next week. Are you asking me? Um, Pete, I'm merely observing. Okay, you can decide whether you want to uh, straddle the line between spoiler and no spoiler by saying... Uh, what I suspect is the case that next week we'll get some Cybok action. Anyway, Matt, let's talk about a story in which we have a psychological hospital with uh, the criminally insane, a counselor who gets manipulated by an inmate who becomes a big bad. Wait, is this the Suicide Squad? <laughs> 
or I Suicide really Squad like without Viva. Star Trek's version of uh, Harley Quinn and Cyborg is now the Joker. Well, I will say this. Um, I never in a million years would have guessed that they would have gone for anything related to Star Trek V. And I don't think, I think most fans would agree. Are you saying we're not going to get a scene in like season three of Star Trek Strange New Worlds where they go to Shakari and uh, the rock people are fully realized ever since Shatner in 1988 was unable to have CGI rock people. And, and as I recall from Shatner's, uh, Shatner wrote a book or somebody ghost wrote a book. Shatner put his name on a book about the creating of Star Trek V. Uh, and I think there was a plan at one point for those rock people. They wanted the suits to smoke. So the solution somehow was like, and I'm not kidding here. This is the memory that I have. It was something like they used cigarette smoke or like the suit was connected to a pump that would smoke a bunch of cigarettes and blow it through. <laughs> like something like that where you go, oh, my goodness. Jurassic Park came along right at the right time to improve special effects. Um, but I digress. Look, Gene Rodman, for all the Gene people out there, Gene says this. Gene is my dad. Gene makes the rules. I don't mean literally, you know, Eugene Roddenberry Jr. I'm affecting the voice of people who need Gene's approval for things. Gene Roddenberry said that Star Trek V may be apocryphal. So I would take no offense to if I heard, you know, Kurtzman or anybody else go, yeah, it's a really interesting idea to use some stuff from Star Trek V, but I know it's, uh, you know, it's a difficult, you know, like whatever it is to kind of mumble mumble all the way. I never would have imagined that they would bring Cybok into this. You want to sit and do a little you know, reference here, there to, to whatever, to fan dancing. Okay. That's fine. Uh, lower decks. I see you, but I mean, Pete, you, you said to me that you saw this twist coming and I could certainly see on second view how, if you are familiar with the Cybok character, how they're setting it up, but I didn't see it coming. Maybe some of that was because it was a rough week and a long week and so forth. And I sat down and watched this the first time without notes with a little, with a little, uh, you know, uh, club soda next to me and kind of relaxing. But still, I think even with theory radar out, I never would have said they're going to do a Star Trek five thing here. Yeah. To reach for Cybok here. And if you are unaware of the character, this, uh, dating back to Star Trek five Spock's half brother played by Lawrence Luckinville, um, on the quest to find God in Shakari, uh, named because Sean Connery was the iconic actor they sought to play opposite Leonard Nimoy. Sean Connery, who had maybe the worst judgment ever in the history of Hollywood. Um, you go through the decisions he makes. He turns down Sound of Music. Uh, total fail there uh, gets the Bond franchise. He turns down the Matrix, didn't understand it, uh, takes on the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, um, turns down the Lord of the Rings as Gandalf, just over and over again made poor calls. I think he made the right one in avoiding uh, Star Trek five, given what it ultimately became, I have a soft spot 
for the film, but it is very clearly the weakest of the original series uh, films. But here, Matt, that we're reaching for it all these years later, that they can go for Cybok. I mean, all that remains, you know, was that an extra with the the wig on? Okay, or do we have a named actor who uh, has not been seen on a Toronto street in <laughs> costume, Matt? That oh my, and welcome to the cast of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, uh, Paul Wesley. Well, first things first, I think what may have helped Sean Connery not choose Star Trek V was that uh, another Paramount movie uh, was after him. Uh, That was one directed by uh, Steven Spielberg in Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, So that was Connery's choice, and I think we can all agree he definitely made the right one, even if Star Trek V was somehow better, which is frankly difficult to imagine. Um as for the notion who is it who had his back to the camera my initial reaction is it's an uncredited role therefore it must be like an extra or something um but we've seen with um Shazad Latif who obviously knowingly part of the part of the conceit was that he was not i don't mean to spoil anything for a show that came out when was that 2017 um but uh, skip ahead if you don't want to hear the coolest twist in uh, uh, Discovery Season 1, but the fact that Shazad Latif did not take credit under his own name while playing Voke, um, and then when he showed up as Ash Tyler, was credited as Shazad Latif. Like, my point is this. Star Trek knows how to do this subterfuge, and they got a guy who was not a nobody to come along and say, okay, yes, I won't take credit for four episodes, and so on and so forth. Um, so... My again, my instinct is this is just an extra, and you hire somebody later. That said, if next week or the next time we see the Cybok actor, if they're very clearly picking up from what really, really seems to be stuff they shot the same day, you know, same location or or whatever it might be, um, then yeah, you could totally get your big name actor you've been keeping on hidden under a hat until next week or whenever, um, and go back and retroactively say, and yes, that was their back to the camera. You reference Star Trek Discovery and the uh, Tyler Voke uh, guessing game. Um, and you can go back and listen. And I called it in the initial episode, uh, not knowing anything, just, uh, you know, put the pieces together. But part of the fun, whether it was intentional or not, of that guessing game was that they credited Voke to an actor named uh, Javid Iqbal that was some version of Shahzad Latif's heritage. But then some genius, and I swear it was not me, nor was it Matt, on Twitter created a real Javid Iqbal account and tweeted things of uh, the character of Voke <laughs> being an actor, like that that's not prosthesis, that he's a real actor <laughs> and would talk about, you know, uh, Shazad Latif and, and, you know, learning from him on the set and, you know, oh, here's a clearly photoshopped picture of us together and we're no way the same. 
uh, it was great. And I guess what I'm saying is I kind of hope somebody does that with uh, Cybok. It'll, it'll be interesting. Um, and, and I know you've, you've not, you've technically not answered the question, nor have I demanded an answer, you know, whether this continues next week, I would say regardless, um, we know that there's three episodes left and I don't think this is something that's going to have us wait until next season, uh, to, to further explore. Well, why though? What's that? Why? I just, I think there's a narrative quickness to this show. There's another reason why you're not seeing it why they would resolve it this no why they uh would not resolve it now um, um perhaps the kirk connection yes because james kirk has no knowledge of cybok until star trek 5 so you know by the time that paul wesley comes aboard to play lieutenant jim kirk that strangely matt i've seen people on the internet deny that Paul Wesley is playing Jim Kirk. No, no, he's playing another Kirk. Uh, no, <laughs> he was photographed filming in the streets of Toronto wearing a uniform with Christina Chong. And then the next day, welcome to the cast of Star Trek Strange New Worlds because we made a big mistake. <laughs> Because we have an LED thing, and we could have just done a 3D scan of the street corner, but we didn't. And we could have put up, like, muslin around. Anyhow, regardless. Um, Well, Pete, suppose we meet halfway. What if next week, or what if in the next three weeks, there's the the, the great um, Cybox subplot? Um, I doubt they're literally going to be like, and thus stricken from Starfleet record forever. I mean, they did that with Discovery. But they sit and have this side little thing and it's like Spock, such shame. Let us not talk about this again, says to Pring um, or Spock and to Pring or leave the enterprise. So what happens is technically not subject to a log or whatever it might be, but they could come back and it could just be like, all right, captain, we dealt with that issue and Zavarius has been dealt with. Um, and th- thus Kirk could show up in a next episode, whether it's next season, whatever it might be, and it, it not be part of the be part of the ship's knowledge. Just wait, Matt, until Cybok mentions Michael Burnham and all the people who have decided that Star Trek's Strange New Worlds is finally Star Trek again. When it's been Star Trek all along since Discovery brought it back to the small screen in 2017 lose their minds um look if you don't i i I don't know we've discussed in the past toxic fandom and things like that all i can say is in an episode like this i'm having too much fun to sit and get angry at things uh or things that might have me reassess the world or things like i don't know it's star trek man if you're not open-minded then you're a weirdo fan who watches Star Trek and doesn't understand how it works. Can we give full credit to Jess Bush here? She's playing chapel like DeForest Kelly's bones. And I love it. She's doing a fantastic job. And, and her final scene in the episode where she is, uh, 
you know, they're kind of uh, debriefing on the the pretend thing that they did, uh, you know, her and Spock, that is to say. Um, there's a subtlety to her performance. And I think that, I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how clear it is made to an actor, you know, like, hey, we're going to, like, you know, the script says, Chapel looks devastated. So we're going to go in for a close up here. I don't know. I don't know if those are discussions that are necessarily had i guess it would depend on a particular director in terms of you know like you just be in the moment give your performance but here's my point pete she's not necessarily being afforded an edit where we go and this is chapel's great tragedy that she feels one way for her friend but knows he has spoken for but got to play this out she's not being she's not the focus of that scene but jess bush's performance is letting much of that show through without it completely taking over because i don't think the show wants this to be a major uh plot thread moving forward but we know it's something that's in her heart i also think that the writers are previewing what we know about spock and chapel down the road especially with the knowledge that to and spock don't work out um when Chapel tells Spock that he's too honest, that he's too good a person to, uh, you know, cheat on his girlfriend, I think they're going to find a way for this to somehow happen. Well, and again, speaking to this idea of, you know, uh, as I've said in the past, I, I have no beef with Discovery or season one of Discovery in particular. I think how fandom how how bare spots in the timeline for various fandoms how that is assessed has changed since 2017 a bit um and again for star trek to be like hey there was passing reference to a a, a war or trouble with the klingons therefore we're going to turn it into the most devastating war the federation has fought up to that point uh i don't take exception to it it's maybe a little less nuanced than what we have now in Star Trek and Star Wars and so forth. However, that said, if you want to tell me, however it is the Strange New Worlds continues in this pre-TOS era, but maybe we get flashes of the future or time travel or whatever. If you want to tell me that privately in the future, at some point after a mock time when Spock officially gives up on the relationship and so forth, that he and Chapel privately settle down. I'm open to that because I'm open to these characters in this presentation. Uh, Pete, it's almost like uh, another Spock actor used to say that canon is not meant to be, you know, a prescriptive prison or whatever, that it's just a bunch of things to keep in mind when you make pretend stories. After seven episodes, Matt, Hollywood has long said your characters are baked in. Henceforth, we are officially overdue for an Ortegas episode. Um, I say, bring it on. I continue to be dazzled by the writing room decision to have, um, an easy professional relationship between, uh, Pike and Ortegas in terms of even here, how fast do we go first date or third date blind date later on? Ooh, it's third date. Like there's a, there's a friendship there. There's an ease of communication there. Um, I want to find out more about Ortegas's past. So yeah, bring it on. If not next week, because we might be doing another Spock flashback. I don't know. Um, let's bring it on. I want to find out more. With that, let's open Hailing Frequencies. Hailing Frequencies open, sir. 
we go to our Twitter poll, Pete, where I was saying, look, uh, I'm not going to fall for uh, people who don't listen to the podcast downvoting Star Trek Strange New World stuff, particularly an episode that's about trans visibility. So uh, I said, how can I have people vote about this? How about this? Uh, With pirates in this week's Star Trek, which marauder would you want to watch Star Trek with? Which I must admit, Pete, is kind of a nothing poll, but better that than have people downvote because whatever so pete uh lowest vote getter here was watch with captain barbosa that got five percent next was watch with davy jones that's ten percent next would be people want to watch with long john silver that's 70 percent but pete the king captain of them all 70 percent of people would like to watch star trek with old blackbeard himself in terms of replies, we heard from Andre Yeager, Dr. Apollo in 1983. Great episode. Anton Mount did a great job exercising his comedic chops. Loved the psych games he was playing with the pirates. Also, like the twist of Spock being played. Tupring has had a lot of face time in this inaugural season. Was not expecting that. Uh, I think we would all agree we didn't see that coming, but certainly well used. Next, Pete, we hear from JT Adkins. JTA is me. Uh, who he, he has included a picture of his uh, his handsome bearded face, kind of a uh, a linen hood up over it. Uh, he says, "This is my moment. Cybok is the role I was born to play. <laughs> I'm the right age, right beard. Put me in, coach." Hashtag Strange New Worlds, and he t- also tags Star Trek on P plus. How do we know he's not playing him, Matt? You know what? He's not not playing him. We can't we can't say he's not 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 playing him. We can't know until we see who is playing him. So until then, Pete JT Atkins may be the Cybok actor. Uh we heard from Single Since Obama. That's Kylie G328. I watched all of the Queer as Folk reboot reboot, and Jesse James Keitel is so brilliant, both on that show and on Strange New Worlds. I hope Hollywood gives them more meaty roles moving forward. Next up is Mike uh Carrier. That's at Mike in Cleve66. Coming off as the jealous type, but could I possibly get Nurse Chapel to kiss me like that? Hashtag, <laughs> why does Spock keep getting all the hotties? That's perhaps the first time that hashtag has been used, and I applaud Mike for it. Good episode. I was entertained throughout, but seriously, why does emotionally unavailable Mr. Spock have so many hot women after him? Hashtag Star Trek nerd. spelled it out, man, because he's emotionally unavailable. Man. There you go. They're, you know, wanting what they can't have. Uh, Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC-139. Uh, Squall wasn't bad, but I wasn't overly enthralled either. I suspect Dr. Aspen, I suspected Dr. Aspen wasn't on the up and up early on, but didn't see them as quite so nefarious. And uh, and in love with that guy. Spider-Ham Lincoln is being spoiler-free, Pete. The comic relief of Pike cooking for the pirates and the Orion leader was not my cup of tea, but it was a breath of fresh air after last week's downer. And, man, Hemmer was a stud in this episode. The way he took down some of the pirates and held his own in engineering. <laughs> wow, I just couldn't get enough of him this week. Oh, wait, never mind. Um, I, I, Pete, I, too, have missed uh, having Hemmer in these episodes. I know you had speculated last week whether it was perhaps um, a COVID-related thing. Um, somewhat related to that, I was just clicking around the memory alpha in the last week, and they were talking about how Deep Space Nine briefly tried hollow communicators. Do you remember that? How they had Mm -hmm, the, mm -hmm. right? And how it quickly became this, you know, time is money. It became this expensive thing because now you need to like light the person properly. And when the camera moves, you need to, it became a whole big thing. And how like an old pro was like, 
And old Star Trek Pro was like, this is why Gene came up with communicator screens. So you can just film the other person later. Uh, and I had myself thinking of that here with a COVID twist. Like, and obviously, look, Kurtzman era Star Trek has gotten rid of the hollow communicators too. But it's like, oh man, Gia Sandhu may have been exposed to COVID. Um, let's film her communicator conversation in like two weeks. It's no big deal. She needs to sit on a stool with like a brown background and say, Spock, here we are broken up. Like the same rule has applied even in, in these weird COVID times. Pete, back to Twitter. Strange new tweets. KCLYLE1 says the series is so dang fun. Pike is fast becoming one of my favorite captains and the crew is awesome. Just loving this show. And last but certainly not least, uh, Michael, that's Mike the Egg on Twitter. A fantastic episode with lots of great meaning throughout, led by the inclusion of at Jesse J. Keitel. Great performance with so much meaning woven in. With that, Pete, let's head to hear from Admiral Fred in the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 1. Episode 7. Nice episode, although I thought it would even be nicer, because I thought this would be a Nurse Chapel-centric episode, and although her role was quite large here in this episode, it was not really about her or about her background. It was even more about Spock in this episode. And I thought this because the actress who plays Nurse Chapel, Jess Bush, had a interview in the radio room with Will Wheaton, which I haven't watched yet. Of course we all wonder what will happen with Nurse Chapel's emotions and perhaps that is the topic or will be a topic in one of the next episodes where she is the focus of the episode. After having kissed Spock, well, she fancies Spock, but is this just friendship or is this more? And I'm probably not the only one that is thinking that. I think for Spock it's clear he rebonded with T'Pring. Unfortunately, she immediately recognized it and it didn't result in a final breakup between the both of them. I was very much intrigued by the role of Jesse James Cartel, who played Dr. Aspen, aka Captain Angel. Kind of mysterious, kind of sensuality she has. Although I perhaps shouldn't say she. I really wonder if she plays a feminine role here or as the actress is transgender and non-binary if it's also a non-binary role here. In the end she made a nice switch and played her role quite differently, although you still see the same kind of mannerism, same kind of behavior, although she is now in the role of Captain Angel. Her cheeky kind of behavior is actually in both roles. Really nicely played and I really, really love the bodysuit she has. Okay, that will be all. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Pete, on the topic of how to best refer to Jesse James Keitel, uh, 
according to multiple interviews here, uh, Keitel identifies as non-binary and uses she, her pronouns. So okay to use the she, her there. And um, yeah, I think the performance really, really is wonderful. Uh, iconic just for being a great villain. And um, I'm, I'm most excited at the prospect of seeing, uh, seeing her back in this role uh, in the near future, maybe not next week. I don't. I don't quite know how that would work if if we need both her and Cybok. Um, but regardless, it's it's a great addition to the Star Trek family. And why not, as she pointed out on Twitter, be able to lean into the the villainy and you know sink your teeth into it, have some fun with it, and uh, yeah, more please. Pete, this and every episode that we podcast made possible by those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Here we are chugging through our busy times, our third podcast of the weekend, all the storage and bandwidth and technical blah, blah, blah behind the scenes. Uh, and it is so great to have that help from those listeners who are patrons. Whether you choose to go to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and uh, choose a level there a tier to uh contribute at or whether you go to apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review you're helping us just the same pete let's keep the conversation going particularly with gasp three more episodes of star trek on the schedule um how can people be in touch with you on twitter you can find me on twitter at peter p-i-e T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,586 followers. Can't be wrong. While I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch. We are Fantastic Geek on Twitter, Gmail, and Instagram. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. For those listening on the Pop Culture Podcast feed, we will be talking... Ms. Marvel, Episode 3 on Friday, the finale of Obi-Wan Kenobi on Saturday, and of course back for Star Trek Strange New Worlds on Sunday, just here for the Star Trek, back here, same time, same place, in a week's time. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Love is the only thing that makes the cold loneliness of space bearable. <laughs>